Welcome back to the Competitive Hedge Podcast. It is August 20th, which means our 20th NFL team preview is upon us. Now, yesterday, the discussion was all about that second team in Los Angeles being the LA Chargers, one of the better teams in the AFC. And we're staying in the AFC today, talking about our second team from the AFC East. And it's a team that could go either way this year, depending on how that quarterback play looks. Now, I am joined today by a good friend of the show. He once won three straight Fantasy League titles in our league, and it has has been a part of our league for quite a few years now. He's a waiver wire fiend. He often wakes up at 2.30 in the morning to make additions, and he is also a passionate Dolphins fan and occasional gambling degen. That's Dylan Istash. Dylan, how you doing? Uh, pretty good. I'm, I'm hurting that you had to talk about my bladder issues at 2.30 in the morning, but <laughs> we'll say I'm a waiver wire fiend. You know, I wasn't going to bring up that's the 2.30 reason, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, we uh, he's up early. You wake up to find out that the third running back in Arizona is now off the board because he read a report a couple days earlier. So uh, super excited to talk about the Dolphins with you today. We're going to start by recapping their year last year, how they're looking heading into this year. And we'll talk a little bit about some betting lines and fantasy football stuff. But let's start with that 2021-2022 recap, which was they stunk out of the gate. They were really bad out of the gate. They went 1-7 to start the year, but then they stormed back to finish 9-8. and eight. They just missed out on a playoff spot. They finished third in the AFC East, which had two playoff teams last year. But there was a huge bright point, which was the emergence of Jalen Waddell, the rookie wide receiver that they had. And so, Dylan, what did you make of the Dolphins year last year? It had to be tough out of the gate, but then they started rattling off wins and it made you think they might have had a chance at the playoffs. Yeah, like I was I was pretty excited out of the gate. You know, you get uh, a win against the Pats. That always feels good. Um, And then, yeah, the seven straight losses was was something. And I was I was just like, yep, this is the old Miami Dolphins that I always cheer for. Like, I don't really have to watch them on Sundays. I don't have to feel too bad. I kind of know what the result's going to be, and it's usually not in my favor. Um, Usually not a team that I like to bet or anything like that because they just break my heart. But, uh, yeah, a lot of of cause for optimism at the end of the season. And uh, enough love for uh, young Jalen Waddle that I, I have his jersey coming in the mail. So... Um, yeah, hopefully it's a sign of good things for, for him in 2022. Now it was definitely an eventful off season when it came to the dolphins and it started out on a negative note with the firing of Brian Flores. Uh, a lot was made of bringing in a new head coach and a lot of people were very confused why they needed to bring in a new head coach after the year that they had. Um, I think a lot of people felt like they, they were about where they should have been, maybe even exceeded it a little bit. So now they have the new head coach at the helm, Mike McDaniel, who was the San Francisco 49ers OC. Were you surprised by the Flores firing it? And what do you think of your new head coach? Yeah, so I was super surprised at the time. Um, I really liked uh, Coach Flores. And obviously, lots of the the tampering stuff has come out since then. Um, The alleged tampering, I guess. Um, And so, yeah, like, I mean... I, I was sad and confused at the time. And then when I saw who we got in Mike McDaniel, I was super excited about it. Um, you know, just a, a good young offensive mind. Obviously we just uh, saw a Super Bowl win from a team that has a, a coach with uh, I think, you know, a good, good similar mind like that, that uh, 
just started out as, you know, some intern. And then, <laughs> you know, now he's a head coach uh, years later. And I think that's kind of the same, same kind of path that Mike McDaniel has followed. So uh, just really excited for him as a Dolphins fan and to see what he does with some of these new, uh, new weapons in the offense. And that's just it. With the offseason moves that they made, this is going to be a very different Miami Dolphins offense. But on the defensive side of things, they did extend Xavier Howard, one of the best corners in the league. They signed Melvin Ingram as well on the defensive side. So a couple of additions and also keeping a guy there that that's really nice. And that was a good Dolphins defense last year. But the offense is what intrigues me now. The big move that's t- made a lot about was the Tyree Kill move. The fact that they went out they not only got Tyreek, they extended him. They're paying him $30 million a year in order to be the number one there. He might be 1A and 1B with Waddle, depending on the step that he takes this year. And then the running back by committee that they're going to have this year with basically just the the cast-offs of, of many NFL teams. You've got Sony Michelle, who was probably the number two there last year. You got Chase Edmonds that they brought in from the Cardinals. You have Mostert who when healthy was great with San Fran, he just wasn't healthy very often. So now you have a running back where uh, you have three running backs that all do a few different things, and we could see a very interesting offense here. So given that they made all these moves, now that they have all these weapons, it feels like the pressure's on for Tua, that this is the year where if he's going to be a franchise quarterback, then he's going to take a step this year, and they're going to be a good football team. So what do you make of the offseason moves? And do you think this is a make or break year for Tua? Uh, yeah, it's it's probably make or break for Tua at this point. Um, you know, we've we've seen, you know, flashes of brilliance in parts of different seasons. Uh, we've seen him not really always play full seasons. We've seen injuries. We've seen uh, Fitz Magic come in, Brissett. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot going on there. And then now, of course, we have Bridgewater behind him. So um yeah it's definitely make or break i guess uh we have an improved security blanket and having bridgewater back there instead of uh Brissette. i like that uh but one of the things for two of this year i think uh in addition to all those different uh options that have been brought in like tyreek and edmonds and michelle and uh mostert um who obviously would know the mcdaniel's um schemes very well um, two other guys that I was really excited for on the offense were um, fullback Alec Ingold. Um, I think, you know, a lot of good blocking there. And obviously blocking is really important uh, to the new coach. And then uh, probably like my 1B move this offseason is uh, getting Taron Armstead, um, formerly of the Saints, to shore up that O-line. Um, I think that's going to be huge for Tua this this year is to have some confidence in that O-line. Um, and hopefully, um, not that you need to block for very long to, to get a deep ball to Tyreek, but hopefully it just adds some time for Tua back there to make smart decisions and uh, throw some bombs. Yeah, and a lot of people have posted funny clips of Tua missing guys in camp. And to be honest, it's one of my favorite things of the offseason is whatever. And it happened with my Cowboys, like Trayvon Diggs, every time he does anything and gets burned, then it's going to be made a thing. And so they did that with Tua as well in the offseason. But his O-line's good. He doesn't even necessarily have to air it out with a couple of these guys. If you get Waddle and, and Hill in space, they can make some plays. And I think that's what's so nice about this Dolphins offense. Now, The question also is, where do they fit into not only their division, but the AFC as a whole? Because you have the Bills that are heavy favorites to win the division. 
I know both of us have the bills to win the division because we obviously do our division winners as far as betting plays go. But the bet that intrigued me was Dolphins to finish second in the division because to finish second in the division, they're plus 160. I think the odds are there, and I don't think that New England made the moves that Miami did. If anything, they might have even got a little bit worse. And so I really like the odds on Miami to finish second. For them to make the playoffs, it's plus 141 as well. I'm not quite as confident on that one. I think this might be a one playoff team division. So what do you think of the Dolphins' chances to finish second in this division? It really is between them and the Patriots. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I think if uh, if we have a split against the Pats this year or uh, take both the games, um, I'm I'm quite confident in uh, ending up second in the division. So I think that's really what it's going to come down to is getting that confidence uh, right off the start with a win over the Pats. And then um, there's going to be a couple of games right off the hop that aren't going to go, probably aren't going to go our way. There's uh I think a game against the Bills, game against the Ravens. It's uh, so it'll be kind of dicey. So it, it's really necessary to get off to that one and zero start, and then hopefully from there we don't have that seven game slide. Um, but I, I 100% think uh, you know I, I'll I'll probably go throw uh, throw some money where my mouth is here and uh, bet on them to get second in the division for sure. And that's the thing is that it's going to be a very close four second because. If I think if they win both, then they're going to finish second. If you split, then I think you're going to be, see a one-game separation between these two. Um, and I think Vegas thinks that as well because the over-under win total for both teams is eight and a half. So Vegas is probably thinking one team's going nine and eight, one team's going eight and nine. Just depends on how those head-to-head matchups go. Now, division-wise, I think they have the potential to go three and three here. You'd like to think you can beat the Jets twice. If you're very fortunate, you maybe steal one off the Bills because division games get dicey. And then if you split with New England. So if you go three and three, that means the rest of the way you got to win six of your 11 non-division games. Now, there's a few games out there that I think are a lot easier than others. I mean, you have Chicago on the schedule. You've got Cleveland before Deshaun comes. You have Houston. You have Detroit. So there's four games right off the bat where you're like, you like to believe that you can win those games. Obviously, the NFL uh, doesn't care about our opinions. But then you have the Baltimores, the Cincy's, the Minnesotas are an intriguing one, the Pittsburgh game. So I think they are going to be very close to this win total. Where do you lean here? Do you think this is an eight or nine win team? Yeah, I think it's a nine win team. Um, but like you're going to have to steal some games for sure. Um, especially like... It's like looking at the schedule, I'm like, why do we have to face some of these teams? It's it's pretty <laughs> painful. Um, but I, I do think, uh, like you said, like we're getting uh, the Browns without Watson. So that that's that's one that it's like you got to get some of those wins there. And then uh, I really do think uh, one that I would have circled is for sure the game against the Vikings. Um, I feel like that's sometimes a team that you can steal one off of. Obviously, they have a lot of good weapons, but those weapons don't always come to play. So, um, you know, lots of, lots of like garbage teams seem to get wins off the Vikings when they shouldn't. Um, yeah. I find them to be a frustrating team to bet straight up. So um, why not us? Why not us stealing one <laughs> off them and going nine and eight? 
Yeah, Minnesota is that ultimate team where they look really good against a Green Bay or the Rams, and then the next week they just lose to the Bears for no apparent reason, and you really question why you threw them in your parlay like we do every Sunday. Now, when it comes to the fantasy side of things, that's what we're most familiar with because we've been doing it for years. So Tua is an interesting draft choice this year. Now, his ADP is 137. So you have him around the 12th round, 13th round. He may not be your first quarterback, but the range he's going in is he's just behind Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins, but he's just ahead of Fields and Lawrence. So they feel like, well, he's just slightly better than these young guys, but he's not quite good enough to be ahead of those average veterans. So what do you think of Tua from a fantasy perspective? We made a lot of the weapons that he has now. Could be a viable fantasy option even potentially a league winner just with all the weapons that he has or he could just not be as advertised and then suddenly you're wondering why you're starting to come playoff time so what do you think of him from a fantasy perspective yeah so i mean um he's mobile enough that there's uh definitely the rushing upside right so you know a, a guy that can uh run a little bit with the ball is always nice to have um he's got the weird left-handedness uh which is always a nice little wrinkle in there um, and I, I think that, um, you know, the things that'll be huge for him is just like we talked about earlier, having, um, Tyreek and Waddle, you just get the ball in their hands and they run with it. So if he's having, uh, screens and little dump offs, and then they're running for 80 yards after something like that, uh, he's a beneficiary there. And I, I think that's, uh, going to be a lot of the scheming that we see for this team is just well-blocked plays, uh, get the ball in the hands of your playmakers and I mean, the quarterback's the one to do that, right? So as long as we're seeing him uh, get get uh, points off of passing touchdowns, um, I think that's going to be huge for him. And I would I would totally be okay with um, with taking him. I would take him personally. I would take him over Cousins uh, just because I like his mobility a little more than the mobility of Cousins. Um, and I mean, I. Car, I wouldn't take him over. Like cars, <laughs> car threw for like forty three hundred yards. There's something last year, yeah. so I just don't see that. And he's got a fancy new toy in the garage as well. Um, but yeah, overall, I I don't think that Tua is going to be terrible in fantasy. And I, I'm someone who notoriously takes quarterbacks really late, um, in most leagues. So I I would be fine if if I end up with him. I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if you're drafting one of those like top six QBs, you're probably not even thinking about Tua because you're not even thinking about second quarterback. But if you draft the Rodgers, the Stafford a little bit later on, you maybe draft Tua just to keep them in case, you know, you got Green Bay, they're playing the Rams, and then suddenly you look and, oh, Tua, that there's that Texans matchup and you really like it. So I think that's where you draft Tua. Two QB league, obviously, you're, you're for 100% drafting him, but, but typical one QB league. You're probably playing him as your bye week guy or or just a, a bad matchup for your starter. Now, I don't know what to make of the Dolphins running back situation because you've got Chase Edmonds. He's about an eighth round guy, maybe ninth round. Of course, in our league, probably sixth round. But then you've got Raheem Mostert, who's a late flyer, and Sony Michelle potentially not getting drafted at all. Now, as you said, you bring in the San Fran. OC to be the head coach who's familiar with Mostert he may have some value there but I personally don't want anything to do with the Miami running back situation for you from a fantasy perspective is there a running back that you would like more than others there just depending on value 
Uh, it's pretty tough. Like where you're going to pick Edmonds, um, I feel like there's just other options that are going to be better. Like sometimes you see uh, Pollard around there. You also see guys like Singletary, though, where it's like he's in a who knows situation as well, right? It's kind of like there's three guys and we don't really know who the guy is. Um, so it, I think it's going to depend on a few things. You're going to have to know your league mates. So, for example, I know that if I draft Chase Edmonds in, in the home league that we play in, um, there's going to be guys that won't, like he could be going phenomenal, you know, 16 points a game through the first four weeks or something. And guys in our league are going to go, well, no, it's the Dolphins and we don't know about those two other running backs. And, you know, even though he's yeah. proven it with 16 points through the uh, on average through the first four weeks, uh, guys aren't going to trade you for him. So I think that's what you need to keep in mind is like what what's everyone in the league going to do here? Lots of guys are going to go. I don't want any Dolphins. I hate the Dolphins. Um, so for me, if I was going to go after one, um, Early on, I kind of think the guy's Mostert just because of his uh, his rapport with our, our new um, head coach. Um, later in the season, depending on how pass blocking is going, I think that's going to be a really big thing as well. So, uh, you know, look for your beat reporters on Twitter and see, like, who's, who's getting their tires pumped on uh, their pass blocking in practice. And that might be the guy to scoop on a on a bye week for one of your other top running backs. Um, so maybe it's Michelle. Um, it, it could be Mostert. It could, I don't know that Edmonds is that great in pass blocking. I haven't really looked, but he's a kind of small guy. Um, so yeah, for me, it's Mostert off the start, but then just kind of watch these guys on the wire later because if one takes it, they could run with it. Let's not forget Duke Johnson last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we know it in, in our league that running backs are at the premium, and so they likely do go a round or two earlier than they should, but we know that those get used as trade bait down the line, and there might just be that guy that sees Chase Edmonds and they're like, oh, I love the upside. This is a great opportunity to trade him well while his value is as high as he is. Now, wide receiver-wise in this offense, you got a second rounder and a fourth rounder. So the fact that your top two guys are both going early in fantasy says something about your weapons. Now, Tyreek, he's wide receiver seven right now. I'm kind of surprised that he's behind CD lamb, even as a Cowboys fan, he is ahead of Debo as well, coming off a good year. Um, what do you think of Tyreek's value first before we talk about Waddle? Yeah. Okay. It's kind of funny that you say that about, uh, you know, seeing him uh, behind CD because like, I love both those guys. I, I yeah. think they're both just phenomenal and I I'm really hyped on CD this year. Um, but I, I think he's, you know, I'd say Tyreek's around where he should be just with uh, what we know of Waddle. I think that's the only reason that he is, or sorry, what we know of uh, Tua and Waddle. Uh, we know about their rapport and then we just know that Tua could be a little questionable for him. Um, I know he's, he's been, you know, getting amped up and Tyreek saying like, you know, this guy throws such accurate passes, the most accurate of ever, And it's like, yeah. that's probably <laughs> the, the, the overkill of you came from Mahomes and you're going to talk about how accurate he is on deep balls. And it's like, come on, man. Like I'm all for like supporting your guy, but like, let's not get to that realm. Especially with the weird left-handed throwing this, which I need to throw that again. It just, it looks strange sometimes when Tua throws the ball. Um, but yeah, so Tyreek, I think he he's in the right spot. And I 
Like, I don't see why he wouldn't finish as a WR1 just because what he can do with the ball in his hands. Uh, so second round, perfect. And then uh, same with uh, Waddle in about the late third, early to mid fourth. Um, I I mean, yeah, you always think that a guy is going to take a step forward every single year, right? It doesn't always happen, but I just don't really see how he can regress a ton. Um, some of that target shared that was there before, obviously a bunch of it gets eaten by Tyreek, um, like with, uh, with Parker leaving and, uh, a few other guys, but then you also have to think, uh, Mike Gesicki is going to get asked to block a little more, um, by our new coach. So some of his target share could go down. And so I, I think that means Waddles probably stays where it was, um, and isn't going to get impacted too much and targets. I mean, you can't have catches without targets. So I think, uh, I think he performs perfectly with his average draft position. Yeah. I think he's in a good range. He kind of falls in those players that are good, but have bad QBs. Cause he's just ahead of the DJ Moore's and the DK Metcalf's, but then he's just behind Pittman and Deontay. So like, I think he's in a good range if he's probably the highest upside WR2 that you'll find out there in an offense, him and guys like Mike Williams. And I agree. I don't think that the targets are going to be impacted at all. If anything, teams just aren't going to be able to key in on Waddle as much as they did last year because love Devontae Parker, but you're not as concerned about Devontae Parker on the outside as you are about Tyree Kill. So I think Waddle's going in a great spot. If I punted wide receiver down the road a little bit because I went running back early, then I think he's a great option that you feel confident in every week. Yes, some weeks there's going to be the Tyreek week where he gets 200 with like two TDs, and but Waddle will also get his in that offense, I think. And then the Mike Gesicki factor, he's tight end 12. He's going ninth, 10th round. He's the guy that if you punt tight end all the way down the road, then you're probably drafting a second tight end along with them. You're looking at the Friar Muths, the the Hunter Henrys, the Noah Fants, and then you're probably playing matchups with them. You're just hoping that Gasicki's a touchdown guy more than anything. He'll get a few, he'll get his own ch- fair share of targets, probably more so than some of those other guys, but the TDs are really what you're playing for when you p- punt tight end that far down the road. I feel comfortable drafting Gasicki though as my tight end. What about you? Yeah, um, I'm fine with it. Like, obviously, this guy's been full of hype the last couple of years. Um, Everything that I read is just like, yeah, he's going to be asked to block more. So, you know, he might get a little more beat up. Um, But sometimes when you're asked to block more, like like Kyle Pitts, for example, this year, he's going to be asked to block more. Um, Sometimes when when you have to block, it also creates mismatches, right? So uh, it just makes you a more versatile player. And then uh, sometimes you benefit um, getting the ball in your hands because of it and not just uh, to spring a running back or to spring one of those other play playmakers. So I would be fine with it. Like guys were fighting to get this guy as like the sixth tight end last year. So, um, you know, he hasn't fallen off a cliff and these other players haven't uh, taken huge strides either. Like Cole Komet or someone like that, like we don't know what yeah. he's going to be. So I, I don't know that I take him over Gasicki. No, th- th- it's the tight end wasteland. Once you get past that top five, like you're hoping that you have the Dawson Knox of last year where he's going to catch a ton of touchdowns. But, and you talked about the blocking side of things, play action in the red zone. He's the beneficiary of you think that Mostert's punching it in and then suddenly the play action and Gasicki gets the TD. So 
I agree a hundred percent on that front, but Dylan, what would your, what would you consider a successful year for the dolphins this year to close things out? Yeah, I think, uh, just, just hitting that over eight and a half wins, uh, we get that ninth win and then second place in the division and, um, the rest will sort itself out. If we make a playoff spot off that, obviously I'm super stoked. Um, I don't know a hundred percent that we will. I'm not, I, I probably personally don't make that bet. Um, but yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy hitting the over on eight and a half. And I just think, uh, you know, a season where we see strides, uh, from Waddle and from Tua, uh, that's big things there. That's, that's all I want to see. And then just that we also see rapport between, uh, Tua and Tyreek, you know, I, I hope we don't see any cryptic tweets of like, you know, <laughs> man, this guy's a bum or something like that. Like, hopefully there's no drama like that, um, where all of a sudden that that preseason hype of, oh, he's the best, uh, Tyreek starts throwing Tua under the bus. So if we if we avoid all that, um, I'm a happy camper. Yeah, I think the expectations for the Dolphins, it may not be fair, but I think it's make the playoffs because of the moves that they made. And if they don't, then they're probably looking for a new quarterback in the draft. Um, Tua has every opportunity to prove that he can be that guy. When you have two great wide receivers, good tight end, new head coach, that's offensive minded, like everything's in place for the dolphins to succeed. It's just ultimately on his shoulders of, can you get it done? Are you a franchise quarterback? Are you going to be a journeyman for the next decade in the NFL? We'll have to wait and see how it goes, but they're in a division where they can they can win some games, they can make up some ground there, and then they just have to maybe beat some teams that we aren't expecting them to right now heading into the year. So, Dylan, this was a ton of fun, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, appreciate everyone who tunes in every day and listens to the Competitive Hedge podcast, and we will see you guys tomorrow with our next episode.